turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. If you want to look in your pew Bible, and I encourage you to do that. We have pew Bibles. We encourage you to bring your own Bible. While it's good to have Scripture up on the screen, I think there's something that happens when we open the book and we're touching the pages and we're seeing the Scripture that's around the passage we're looking at. If your mind drifts off and you stop paying attention to me as I'm preaching, I would really like it if instead of just dreaming about what's going on in the football game or what happened somewhere else, you're looking at Scripture. That might actually bring you back into the sermon. So find your place in the Bible, Exodus chapter 3, page 56 in your pew Bible, and we're going to continue this story of the Exodus and how Moses is being called by God to bring his people out of bondage. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and I I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham The God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we call on you the great I am, Yahweh, who condescends to meet with your people and to show who you are and to lead us out of bondage. Just as you met with Moses there on the mountain and you called him to a specific ministry, God, you meet with us and you call us out of our sin and our bondage and you send us forth in ministry. So Lord, help us to have ears to hear your word this morning. Let your Holy Spirit speak to our heart and point out sin and flaw and and where we are falling short of your standard. And if there's any here that do not know you, Lord, like Moses, they will learn not just your name, but they will learn of you experientially and that they will call on your name and that this morning they will be saved. Lord, we give this to you. We give this rest of this service to you. It's the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. When you think of the great names in sports, there's names that come to mind, right? Maybe when you think about basketball, you think of LeBron James. Or maybe when you think of baseball, I know we have a lot of Giants fans. Maybe Willie Mays comes to mind. Joe Montana, the great quarterback here in San Francisco. Or or Bo Jackson, the great running back. Or maybe you think of golf and you think of Tiger Woods or boxing and Muhammad Ali. 
But of course, there's one name that I'm sure is heavy on your mind. You're probably even wondering, why hasn't Scott said his name yet? That name is, of course, you can all say it with me, Peter David Weber, right? Is that what you were wondering? Some of you maybe are. Any of you know who Peter David Weber is? Some of you? No? So we have some, some very active bowlers in this church. I don't know if you know that. But we have some guys who bowl a lot. In fact, some guys who have hit 300 uh, score games, right, Harvey? Harvey's really quick to tell you about some of his exploits on the bowling uh, lanes. And bowling, of course, is obviously as equal of a sport as all those other sports. And uh, you not knowing Peter David Weber's name just says something about you, not about Peter David Weber. <laughs> He's a Hall of Fame bowler. He's the fourth all-time, and in fact, if you noticed, I read those names, uh, almost everyone wasn't the best in their sport, uh, but pretty close. And David Weber wasn't the best, but he's pretty close. Second all-time with 10 majors. But for most Americans, he's not known for his great Hall of Fame bowling career. He's known for a moment that was captured on film that young people call a meme, right? And he's this guy who had this incredible match, and it was a very intense match. And in the middle of his match, there was a heckler in the stands that was bothering him the whole game and trying to get him off. Because bowling, like a lot of sports, takes a lot of focus. You've got to be, be dialed in, and you've got to know the right spin on your ball, and you've got to get the right steps in. Did I do that right, Charlie? I, something like that. And you've got to hit the oil spots just right. And he was dialed in, and this guy was heckling him. And the game came down to the end. In the 10th frame, he had to get two strikes to win. He got the two strikes. And instead of celebrating, he looked to the crowd and screamed with anger, Who do you think you are? I am. Now do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe you've seen that meme. Who do you think you are? I am. He celebrated the game and stormed off the court. Not not game or court, but uh, regardless, you guys know what I'm talking about stormed off the, off the lane, and it was ridiculous. Here's this 60-year-old bowler, five foot seven, screaming for the world to hear, who do you think you are? I am. And not one person in here, even active bowlers, know his name. He's not who he thinks he am. As ridiculous as This is for all sorts of reasons. The question is still a good one. Who do you think you are? You ever thought about that? As you sit here this morning and you ponder that question, who do you think that you are? How and what we think about who we are is only the second most important question we can ask ourselves this morning. Last week, Pastor Royce, I think, did an excellent job in walking us through the beginning of Exodus chapter 3, where the main character, the one who is in the background, the whole story of Exodus up to this point, finally makes himself known. You've heard of midlife crises But have you ever heard of the one third year crises? This is what Moses was having. He's had two of them so far. His first one happened when he was in Egypt. And he's doing his thing, living in Pharaoh's palace, and it kind of comes to him. Wait a second. I'm enjoying this life, and my family, the children of Israel, are suffering in bondage. And he comes to his senses, and he decides to act. And we saw what happened. He came to the defense of an Israelite slave, and in his anger, he killed the person who was tormenting him. 
he was discovered and he fled into Midian. And there he's been living for the next 40 years of his life. Most of us don't get three sections of 40, but Moses did. The next 40 years of his life, he lived on the backside of the wilderness. Anonymous. We talked about his identity. Is he Egyptian? Is he Hebrew? Is he a Midianite? And here he comes to this next part of his life, this second, third crisis. He's just an old man with a staff and his sheep on the backside of nowhere. And in that moment, God comes to him. The phrase was, God came down. His high and holy otherness, that mystical transcendence we confessed this morning, was on display. But also on display was his compassionate nearness. God heard, the text said. God saw. And now God is acting. But when God acts... He doesn't usually act in the same way that I typically act. You've heard the phrase, when you want something right, what's the rest of it? Do it yourself. I've tried to say, let your kids do it, but that doesn't usually work out well. My kids will say, I've tried. It it doesn't go the way I want it to do. So when you want it done right, they say, do it yourself. And God created a world that was right. In fact, it was good. It was very good. But God also created man to rule under him over his creation. So even though the world and humanity itself was marred by the rebellion of mankind and the sin that was brought on the world and the curse that exists over this world, the unrightness of it all, God is still calling us back and reminding us of that place that he created for humanity under him. So when God acts, he typically works through his people. Sometimes we're waiting for God to do some kind of spectacular miracle, and we forget to see that in Scripture, God typically acts through people. God is going to do a saving act. We've seen it led to this point, and shockingly, he's going to use an old, sidelined, forgotten Moses to do it. And on page 56 and verse 7 of Exodus chapter 3, the Lord said, Indeed, I have seen the misery of my people. I have seen my misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out to that land flowing in a good and spacious land. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are impressing them. So go. Go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God is rescuing Moses, and God is going to use Moses to rescue others. He's taking Moses out of that that wilderness place, that place that he's been in a personal exile for 40 years. He's calling him out, calling him back to a place of usefulness and purpose. And he's going to use Moses to be the one who delivers his people. Does this remind you of anything that God wants to do through you? I want you to put a bookmark on that thought. What might God be calling you to do out of your place? Maybe you're in a place of exile. Maybe you're in a place that you've forgotten about. Maybe you think God has forgotten about you. 
What is God calling you to do? So coming back to our story, while it is very difficult to put ourselves in Moses' place, and maybe we're not even supposed to do that here in this story, we can and we must wrestle with two massively consequential questions, two questions that have a huge impact on how we are supposed to live our lives from this point on. And the two questions that come out of this text are these, who do you think you are? And secondly, who do you think I am? Or who do you think God is, to put it in other words? Here we see the first massively consequential question here in the text. Who do you think you are? God said to Moses, go, I am sending you. That's a pretty important question. Or I'm sorry, Moses responds by, who am I? God says, go. Moses says, who am I? And as we hear Moses say this question, we might read it and say, that's a good question to be asking, right? If I said to you, I've got this impossible task for you to do, it's a mission impossible, go and do it, you'd be right to say, just just a couple seconds, Scott, who are you anyway? And, And who am I for this task? Moses responds first by saying to God, who am I? Who am I to be doing this, this ministry that you've called me to do? Why have you called me to do it? Verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, there's two ways to read this question. The first way to read this question of who am I is this. Who am I? I'm not that guy, right? He could be saying that, like, who am I, Mo- who am I God? And we see it later that he, he's questioning even his own calling and giftedness for this purpose, Who am I? I'm not that guy. Maybe you should find somebody else, God. That's one way to read this question. I've got my friends here from Harrisburg, and while I'm not going to embarrass them for wrecking my car or anything like that, Basil, you owe me $10. Uh, (laughs) Well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to bring up something else. In Harrisburg, we have a mutual friend and this person's name is Jamie Foxx. Some of you have heard of Jamie Foxx before, haven't you? Because heard, anyone heard of Jamie Foxx? Famous comedian. This is our mutual friend, Jamie Foxx. Now suppose that Universal Studios calls our friend Jamie Foxx and says, good news, Jamie, we have a new comedy we want to put out, and we think you'd be a perfect fit for it. Now, our friend Jamie Foxx, our friend, the friend that we know named Jamie Foxx, is a retired woman living in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and she's not the famous actor or the comedian from Hollywood. So it would be very appropriate if our friend Jamie Foxx gets a phone call from Universal Studios about this new comedy they want Jamie Foxx to be in for her to appropriately say back to Universal Studios, who am I? (laughs) Who am I to be in this comedy? I think you've got the wrong person. Would we all agree that would be an appropriate response? That's one way of asking this question. The second way of answering this question is not, who am I, you've got the wrong guy, is who am I, this is a big honor. Some of you know that Pastor Ricky has been, been kind of drafted. He didn't really volunteer for it, it's just kind of been put on him to help with the Afghan refugee ministry that's going on in town. Suddenly people start calling him, like, what do you think, Ricky? He just planned a meeting, and out of that meeting, everyone's now going to him as the point person, and we're very proud of him. He's working really hard and doing a lot of important ministry here in Fremont, organizing some of the outreach to the the Afghan refugee community that's coming to Fremont and is already here. Now suppose the president of the United States calls Ricky on the phone. 
And he says, I'm not going to try to do a Joe Biden impersonation. I can't do it, and I would offend everybody, so I'm not going to do either of those things. But here he says, he calls him and says, hey, Ricky, I've heard about your work, and I've heard about the way that you've helped the Afghan community here in Fremont, and and I, I want to plan a big event, and I want you to speak to the whole nation, and I want you to tell the nation about ways that they can get involved in serving the Afghan community. I want you to do that. Can you imagine that response, Ricky? What would you say to that? I imagine he'd be like, Oh, wow. Um, I imagine Carlin would put it on Instagram right away. (laughs) And then the next question would be, do you have the right guy? (laughs) Who am I to do this? And we would all be like, I don't know why they picked you, Ricky, but do it, man. This is a great opportunity to give honor and glory to God. And and so that phrase, who am I, we make sense of that in light of that. Like It's it's a sense of, of I'm not worthy for it, but I'm honored by it. And I want to say this to us about this text and how it applies to our life in this moment. Your worthiness for the task is not dependent primarily on your fitness for the task. Let me say it again, because you are being asked sometimes to do things in ministry that you go, who am I? Maybe you get drafted into teaching Sunday school, and you teach, and God's using you, and and someone says, thank you for teaching my kids, and you go, who am I? Or maybe you end up working on the worship team, or I know some of you have been asked to help work on the back table and welcome people when they're visiting for the first time, and you say, who am I to do this? I I really shouldn't be in ministry right now. I, I don't know that I'm adequate for this role. And I want to say this to you, your worthiness for the task is not dependent primarily on your fitness for the task. Your worthiness for the task comes primarily from God's worthiness working in you. We see this from this response that God gives to Moses. God said, Moses, you ask the question, who am I? He says, I will be with you. And this will be the sign that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. God says to Moses in this passage, consecrate yourself. Remember last week when Royce was saying, Moses walked up to the burning bush and God says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground and Moses covered his face. Consecrate yourself. You're you're serving a holy God and then do what I called you to do. He's saying, go rescue my people. And he says, I'm not going to call you to do that by yourself. I am with you. What is God calling you to do? Can you do it? Can you do what God is calling you to do, people? Can you do it, Redeemer Church? The answer should be, no way, unless. No way can you serve God adequately, unless. And that unless is important, unless God is with you, that changes everything. And there is a sign, but it's a sign here of confirmation to Moses. We want signs that come before, but God gives Moses a sign that comes afterwards. Here's a sign, Moses. One day, you'll go and you'll see these people come out and you'll be back here at this place again and you'll worship God on this mountain and you'll see the children of Israel gathered here and we'll be worshiping God here at this mountain, Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, same mountain, two different names. And it will hit you. And that moment, as you're standing there worshiping God on that mountain, it'll hit you. God did this. This is what God promised. 
Sometimes we don't see the, the truth of God's promises to us until after the fact. It takes faith to step out in faith and follow God, but to look back and say, look at all that God has done. It's an amazing feeling. And this leads us to the second massively consequential question of this passage. Who do you think God is? The famous preacher, A.W. Tozer, said this, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. In verse 13, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? That's an entirely reasonable question. It says something also, though, about Moses, that Moses is not completely educated in the great theology of the Bible. Moses was raised a little bit by his mother, but mostly in the court of Pharaoh. And now he spent the better part of 40 years on the backside of the wilderness around people who also are not worshiping the one true God. And so he's asking a reasonable question. We should want to know who it is that we're worshiping. You may be here today as a Christian, young in the faith, and not know much about who God is and what God expects of you. And you can be a Christian, and you can follow God and not know that much about God. I understand that. You don't have to know the intricacies of the Trinity to be a believer. You don't. But you should not be content to stay in that situation. The sign of a growing Christian is a desire to know God more, to know more about God, to understand what God wants and commands his people to be and to do. Moses, in essence, is asking, who are you? And who should I tell them sent me? And I want us to listen very closely to God's answer to Moses. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. Moses leans in. I am has sent you. This is the original mic drop moment. Who am I? I am. What does that mean? It means everything. It means I am the cause. You see the world? Where did it come from? I am. It means I am the one who existed before everything else existed. And the Bible says, in the beginning, God. Saying that there is something that exists before and over all of creation, and that is God himself. The one who is in need of nothing, but also the one who is the source of everything that is. I am can mean I am the cause. We understand what it means. When someone says, I am, it means that somehow they have an existence that does not depend on anything else. That's why when some bowler says, who do you think you are? I am. We go, that is stupid. But when God says, who sent you? And he says, tell them I am sent you. We stop and we sit in awe. 
I love what God does next. He draws Moses into the redemptive narrative. God, the one who exists, the one who creates. But we also see here that it is God who is the one who redeems. He is the God who saves. He tells Moses that Moses gets to join into the story of redemption, the story of how God is saving the world. In verse 15, God said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, this is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You see that in your text? If you don't have your Bible, look at that because I want you to notice it. This is important for those of you who want to know more about what the Bible says about who God is. This is translated very uniquely and done consistently throughout most English Bible translations. When you see capital O, capital R, capital uh, D, it is a translation for the, the Hebrew word Yahweh. Every time you see it spelled like that, you know that the Hebrew word behind this is not just the other words that are out there for God. It is the word Yahweh. He's saying something to him. This is the first time in the book of Exodus, in, in chapter 3, not here and earlier at the, at the burning bush, the first time in the book of Exodus that this word for God is used. Over and over it says, God, God, God. This is the word Elohim. Over and over and over again. God. And here it says, Yahweh. Yahweh, the God of your fathers. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. What is God doing here? He teaches Moses this, and he, he's teaching him something about who he is and who God is. He wants to remind the Hebrew people of this story. You see, if we were to go back, all throughout the book of Genesis, this word Yahweh is used. It's used when God's creating the heavens and the earth. He talks about the Lord, talks about Yahweh. When God revealed himself to Abraham, he calls himself Yahweh. When God comes to Isaac, he calls himself Yahweh. When God calls to Jacob, he calls himself Yahweh. When God is working with his people, and he's making covenant with his people, and he's providing salvation for his people, he uses this word, Yahweh. And the people of Egypt or of Israel maybe have forgotten about this story. And he's reminding Moses, this is who I am. You are tied into the saving work of God that's gone back since the time of creation. The God who creates, the God who causes all things to come into existence, and the God who redeems his people from sin and slavery and death is my covenant name. I am Yahweh. I am. He's reminding Moses, and then through Moses reminding the people that God has not forgotten his promises. He is a God who makes covenant and keeps it. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. And we hear this now thousands of years later, and we know that we still have a need. Yes, Moses is going to rise up and lead his people out of slavery, physical slavery in Egypt, and, and show them something about who God is. But here we are, and we recognize we still have a need. And there are many that are still in slavery. Yes, physical slavery, but also a spiritual bondage, a bondage that is not as easy to break. What are we to do? 
And this is where we see something beautiful in Scripture. That Jesus is both the who am I and the great I am. He is both the servant who delivers his people out of slavery and he is the God who is delivered to. Throughout the book of John, the gospel of John, John is building this narrative of who Jesus is. He starts out in John chapter 1 and talking about, talking about the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and talking about the Word. and says the Word was with God and the Word was God. And we see that this Word, this, this, um, this communication, this embodiment of deity is Jesus Christ himself. And seven times in the Gospel of John, a statement is made about Jesus that Jesus makes about himself. And I want you to hear it. He says in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 10, I am the door of the sheep. In John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 10, again, I am the good shepherd. In John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John chapter 15, I am the true vine. And then we come to this section that is very, very interesting in the book of John, in John chapter 8. And I'm going to spend a little bit more time here as we close. Jesus comes to a group of the Jews. And Jesus said, If you hold my teaching and you really are my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's in John 8, 32. And these Jews hear him talk about this. If you hear my words, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And as Jews now living thousands of years out of captivity, they're no longer slaves in Egypt. Now they're living in the promised land. What do you think their response to Jesus was when Jesus says, you will get set free if you listen to my truth? What would you say? They think back up to the story about Moses and said, we're not in slavery anymore. We've already been set free. Who are you to tell us that we're slavery in slavery needing freedom? Are you better than Moses? Do you know something that we don't know? How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And they go through this long discourse, and this long argument, and they, they talk about Jesus tries to put them in the place to help them to understand that if they're sinning, they're slaves to sin. And the Jews are like, no, we're not. And in fact, who are you to say that we're slaves because Abraham's our father? Reminds us of our text. God called Moses to call them to back to the God of Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob. And now these people are saying, we have Abraham as our father. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do to me what Abraham did. And that brings up the question, what did Abraham do to Jesus? Can you imagine being a Jew and living at this time, thousands of years after Abraham is already dead in the grave? And Jesus said, if you would do what Abraham did, you'd be just fine. Who is this guy? And he goes on to say, truly I tell you, 
Whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? It's almost like they set Jesus up like a, a t-ball coach, puts a tee, a ball on the tee for the player. Jesus heard this question before. Jesus knows the answer to this question. It is so important that we know the answer to this question. Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, who you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I had not said it, if, if I said it, if I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and is glad. You're not 50 years old, they said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, listen to this, I am. (laughs) At this, they bowed down and they worshiped him and called him their God and their Lord and said, Yahweh has come to be with us again. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) No, that is not what happened. At this point, they heard it. And they were angry. And they picked up stones to stone him. They were ready to throw him and they were going to kill Jesus on the spot. And the word of the Lord says, but Jesus hid himself and slipped away from them, slipped away from the temple grounds. Jesus says, who do you think you are? I am. Jesus is Yahweh God. The burning bush the God who speaks to, to, to Moses, the God who says, I'm going to use you to call my people out. He is Yahweh God and he is the promised son. The, the son of those of you who've been through Sunday school class as we study the story of the Bible, the, the seed of the woman, the, the promised heir of Abraham, the, 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 the one who comes from the line of Judah, the son of David, the one who is going to set people free, the great and eternal sacrifice, the suffering servant. He is all of those things. He's God and he is the promised son. He is the greater prophet. Moses said when he died that someone would come after him, a greater prophet. And we know from the story in John where Jesus goes up on the mountain and there is Moses and Elijah. They they show up in a vision and God's word comes down and says, this is my son, hear him. He is greater than all the prophets. He is greater than Moses. He is greater than Abraham. And he comes down to save us and free us from a slavery so much worse than the physical slavery in Egypt. And it is this Savior who says to his people, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Who are you this morning? Who are you? That question could only be answered by coming face to the face to the one who says, I am.